Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck. That's what <laughs> I say dying. every time. Not don't die. Stop dying. Well, I just want them to stop. They are stopping dying. They're not really thriving, but they're stopping dying. <laughs> so, so they're not really, they're stopping dying, but they're not thriving. So now we got to maybe change it around to start thriving, well, Chuck. Well, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you that failure to thrive means dying. Oh, my God. That's when Bug came home. That then he went back into the, the NICU for two weeks, yeah. two and a half, three weeks, whatever it was. That's what they had him in there for was failure to thrive. Failure to thrive. Oh, as, yeah. a, as a newborn. Uh, yes. So right. failure to thrive is a slow decline towards death. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, that's what's happening. Yeah, it's a slow decline. So they're not going to die of fentanyl overdoses. They're just going to have a slow decline. Hmm. So anyways, that, that's been the subject. We haven't had a show in a long time, and it's good to see you guys. It's good to, be, um, it's good to see you guys. And I announced my semi-retirement to Chuck via the internet, I think, the World Wide Web. And I you were shocked. <laughs> Yeah, we, we we were texting a bit. Well, oh, was it texting? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, I thought it was on instant message on Instagram. No, I don't do that. I, I okay, I do that with your wife actually. <laughs> okay. She asked me who if she asked me a question about the the Dodger game the other night, and I texted her back. Uh -huh. And then I didn't realize when you text somebody back on Instagram, everyone who sees it can see it. And really? then a bunch of people liked my comment. I was only meaning it for your wife. <laughs> well, wow. I'm not social, uh, what is it called? Social media uh, savvy. But I do, I, it is true, and I'm making the announcement now. I'm, I'm becoming, I'm semi-retiring. So I'm not doing patient care anymore because I'm just not good at it anymore, Chuck. <laughs> I'm just not good at it. I, I, think, I think anybody who works in treatment... <laughs> Thinks they're not thinks, good at it thinks, anymore. Well, first, if you think you're good at it, you're probably not. <laughs> Secondly, if you're, you hit those moments. If you're Here's not, you're thing. not being human. Here's the thing. I never thought I was. I never consciously was thinking like, oh, I'm good at this. It just felt like I was effective at it. And now it no longer feels like I'm effective. I did, I did a couple of groups in the last couple of weeks. I'm trying to shake it up and do different groups that are, millennials are more interested in. They just get up out of the room and leave. And, and like it's so, it's so ineffective is the nicest way to put it. Disrespect, oh disrespectful is another way to put it, but mm. I don't want to get mean-spirited about no, it. No, because so then you're, you're, judging, you're judging them. Ineffective uh, yeah. is judging you yeah. and your performance, <laughs> well, and that's good, and we wouldn't want to judge. And plus, your large ego is getting in your way, too, yeah. because it's getting hurt. So, so I, I just am not going to do patient care. I'm just going to focus on education. That's it. I quit. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, it, there's something about it where... Mike's it, never worked in rehab, no, obviously. Because, because that's one of those I'm things ready where to go. I think everybody... Anybody that thinks it's the dream job, they're so. It used to be funner. But you they got to admit well, it. Used well, it to be was funner. when it was less. Ten years ago, uh, it was way funner. Everything was funner ten years ago. <laughs> no, what the fuck you talking no, about? No, because no, the business model has changed so much. If you went to go play a club and they had you fill out a bunch of forms when you showed up and then you had to do a bunch of computer stuff afterwards. You wouldn't and, play music. And then you had to go home and remember what you did because something wasn't done correctly and that someone's got to check it off and then QMPI are going to call you. It, it, it really can tax you but every once in a while i gotta remind myself this is a job as much as i enjoy parts of it you know it's like being a cop you probably enjoy the pursuit but the paperwork <laughs> afterwards after you beat the guy up or whatever you do you, know, you ever <clears throat> notice those, there's a, there's those, those police things like something happened for like three minutes and they're still there the next morning dissecting <laughs> yeah, it yeah that's that's paperwork yeah that's it and i guess it's part of everything except for like uh rock star um, politics Politics, they don't seem to do any paperwork. They just oh, throw Jesus. it out there Seems 24 like hours they, a day. No, and they got people to do it for Seems them, like though. That's you, all you it gotta, is. That's the thing. It's like you were talking about a thing uh, a long time ago about how, you know, you open up a storefront, you do like weekly counseling where you have people come in and UA and you talk to them. Yeah, I wanted for, to do that. You know, that 
that almost seems like that's becoming a more viable option because you've got all these people that are 20. I mean, when you did 22 or 23 rehabs, that was crazy. Now 50, 75 rehabs is not unheard of. So it's not the people, you know, it's like. Well, you know what was shocking about my number is uh, for the uh, first 10, I paid my out of my own pocket. And then, like the last ten, Anthony Kiedis paid out of his own pocket. So I, I, I like this. So actually, people were paying cash money for me to go try to turn it around. You know, and I felt the responsibility of that. Since you brought up if the only way to get rid no, of you, if there was, that's true. Martin paid for me to go one time, just trying to get rid of me. I, I bet <laughs> he'll stay there for there. at least a day. <laughs> yeah, Depending no, he on... sent me to Minnesota. He oh, knew perfect. it was going to be at least three days. <laughs> but but I'm telling you that I knew that, you know, when I was paying, I was like, I'm paying for this shit. I better take it seriously. Then when Anthony was paying for it or Martin was paying for it, I was like, I got to take this seriously because those guys paid money for this. The last 10 years, nobody has paid anything. It's just the in, this invisible insurance world with this card yeah. that's in your wallet or that your mom has. And and I don't believe people take it as seriously as they could. The people that do pay money do take it seriously. <laughs> and guess what? They do succeed at a that's, much it's, higher it's rate. It's very true. When you when you ask for a copayment, people look at it a whole lot different <laughs> when you have to do a copayment up front. What? Yeah, well, what? We always, we've always had pay people pay for sober living once they step down yeah well that's, that's where the tire hits the road right there that's that's the new normal yeah that's the new normal and that's the new state law at least that you have to you have to at least attempt to collect on so that. anyways i'm refocusing my life i told you i downsized i got rid of the laguna apartment we're just living in the house keep costs low i'm not going to do patient care i'm just going to do you know education and kind of uh, you know marketing and stuff like that right and oversee the quality of care so that's easy to do you can do that on the internet you know mm. what i mean and i and i do see clients one on one when they first get here right so i just say hi or whatever how you doing but I'm not going to do groups anymore, and I'm not going to case manage anymore, and I'm not going to do that. Dude, maybe, maybe you would fall in. I just saw I did a wedding on Saturday, and my friend Kelly I used to work with at where you came down and talked the first time at Serenity Shores. She, uh, she got out of – because she was the clinical director there, and she, got, she like just said, I'm out. And so she like supervises all the Orange County programs, like the villa and the yeah, casa. Yeah, what's her name? The, her I know is, that woman. Kellyanne. Yeah, I know that woman. She's cool. She has yeah. hair all, colored a lot like yours. Yeah. That's a, that's the five ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's just one of those things where she goes, you know, it's it's the making sure that people are and she goes, you Well, know, that's what I do at Aloe. I make sure that that people are pas- are practicing like being compassionate and kind and, and thoughtful rather than punitive or sarcastic or downplaying. And that's pretty easy. I've been overseeing that, me and Evan, for since it started. You know, we, we always, my, my training was always, if, I'll give you an example. There was a great old clinician named Pat Martin. I, I hope he's still alive. He's, he taught me a lot. And uh, I had this client who now owns a bunch of rehabs. This is a crazy story. So He's Israeli, former, uh, I don't know, whatever that army is. In the, Ooh, is what are they called? They, they got a cool name. Um, Mossad or uh, uh, something, uh, I forget. But anyways. Not Mufasa. That's what so popped in my I head. Was, <laughs> so I was the driver to the 12-step meetings at night. And so I kind of, you know, I was kind of a big shot at this at Pasadena Recovery Center. This is in like 2002. And... Uh, and he walked away from the Echo Park meeting on Highland, this guy, and went to the coffee house and just was like sitting in there. And I panicked because I was looking around. I can't find him. I can't find him. And then I went running through the neighborhood and I see him through the window of the little uh, coffee house that's on uh, Sunset in Alvarado. I'm like, you motherfucker, what are you doing? And it, it got back and I told him, you know, you're not going to, to outside meetings anymore, right? And he said, sure I am. Sure I am. You can't stop me. Fuck you. And I was like, no, no, no. I'm a 
big important person here I'm to rehab. I'm a behavioral health technician. <laughs> I'm a behavioral health technician. You're going to listen to me. So we'll see. <laughs> so he, the next night, I'm standing by the van and he comes out and I go, dude, you're not going. And I put my hand out and he <laughs> walked right past me and I, you know, kind of shoved him. Probably you know, a bad idea. Probably a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. And he grabbed me by the neck and he pushed me against the van like, he could choke me out in a second like you're trained to do when you're in that sort of military. Trained killer. <laughs> <laughs> and so then he, he just held me for a second, honestly, just to scare me. And and then I went running to Pat Martin, who's the director of the program. I said, he just assaulted me. This guy's got to go. He's getting kicked out. Motherfucker just assaulted me. Right? Pat Martin goes, hold on, hold on. He's this older guy, this wise man. He goes, hold on. Tell me what happened. And I go, the guy just grabbed me by my neck and pushed me against the van. <laughs> what more do you need to know? We got to kick him out of here right now. <laughs> right or now. Or I quit. And Pat, and Pat goes, what instigated that? And I said, well, I told him he couldn't go to the meeting. And he goes, what authority do you have to tell people they can't go to the meeting? And well. I was like, I'm the guy that drives them. <laughs> 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 so so then the guy came in, he apologized, and he said, you know, I'm not used to people being as rude to me as he was. I learned, I learned a head full of knowledge in that evening, right? That I caused it. Not him. He's not a bad person. He's a, he's a person trying to begin a new, a new way of life. He can't shed old things. If you put your hands on him, he's going to choke you out. <laughs> right right and so that that and that was long before nobody was making money off that guy and that was long before any any kind of money motivation and treatment that was simply clinically the right thing to do mm -hmm. to educate the staff that you don't put hands on clients you don't bully them you don't corner them you don't so that's the whole philosophy of aloe is to never be like that always be kind always be th thoughtful always be open-minded always understand that the person is battling some things either both personality or behaviorally or or still detoxing still they haven't detoxing. come back online and the guy wanted to go to a meeting so bad yeah, he'd kill you to get there and you're gonna keep going to i will kill this man <laughs> I don't know why I did that voice. Sorry. <laughs> that racist. That was racist. It was a Medellin cartel voice. No, but I'm telling you, uh, when you think about how crazy that is, that's typical Orange County rehab treatment. That's I, how people are given carte blanche to behave as clinicians. It's hard to to get them to back up, especially when you don't have any, like you haven't gone to school for anything. What you've done is an online rad T. Yeah, right. And thing. you think because I went through here, I know how it goes, and I know how to treat people. And then they start doing everything that they didn't like. And it's just, every once in a while, you you know, pull people aside and talk to them, or go to the houses. I go into the houses and I'll talk to them, and I'll go. I know when you spend this much time with them, you start it starts becoming personal. You got to be careful with that. None of this is personal. They're going through some of the worst time in their life right now. They're going, they're detoxing, they're missing their family, they're missing their jobs, they're realizing that they've thrown however many years away, they're surfacing in sobriety, they're not who they thought they were, and you're going to fuck with them over, they didn't put their towel up, or they didn't make their bed right, quick exactly. enough, or this. No, let's, you know, we follow the spirit of the law, not the letter of it. This right. is this is not probation. But then, but then when you, what's interesting is I learned this in 2002, that is, that is... 10 years before the Parity Act, that is 12 years before the Obamacare is upheld at the Supreme Court, that's 13 years before the gold rush of rehab. I was already saying, you don't kick people out just because they behave poorly. You don't, you, you, we're, we're acting like we know how to treat these individuals and steer them in the right direction. When they behave like the individuals that they are, Yes. Right. Unfortunately, they don't get there for being oppositionally good. defiant, insubordinate. Yeah. Like we should not stoop to that kind of behavior. And I see most treatment centers do, including ownership. Right, where the the addicts are always wrong and they're bad and they always blame them. So Allo was this whole philosophy of don't do the opposite of that. That these people are not not even think of them as sick. These people are our customers. They can go to a thousand different rehabs 
We say that we're excellent at this. All these people that work here are licensed at this and sensitive to helping. Then be that. Live to that standard, right? So I oversee that. But Good. as long as running groups of people walking in and out and being on their phones, no more. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it, 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 it can be an exercise in futility. Every once in a while, I'll walk into a group and I just get disheartened. Well, I think that you're, when you think about it, they, they've been in so many groups. How could it be interesting? You could, you could tap dance naked, naked juggling, freaking flaming I think they'd dance. watch that. Necklet. <laughs> Necklet. I, I didn't want to say it, but it, so it came out all wrong. But the, the idea of it, I don't think, you know, that whole entertain me thing, and they think groups are supposed to be entertaining and because of the way uh, they've grown up where everything is. You know, school is boring because it doesn't, it's not a video game. Things happen fast. It's played to ADD. You know, we don't even say ODD anymore, the oppositional defiance thing. We don't even talk about that because that's judging. That's a, oh, really? It's, I think it's a baseline. <laughs> I have a little I bit I think of you it. have to have it to be an addict because you have I to say. I think it's an American tradition. I think you have to say drugs are bad. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, there it is. But anyway, so, the, so, the, uh, so. In this new life, this, this, you know, making my life smaller and being more focused on my kids and more focused on aloe and less focused on the things that I've done for 20 years, came a lot of spare time. And so with that spare time came music. Now, Chrissy is the one that pointed out the other night. She goes, tell me again how your career unfolded. Because she remembered me telling her when we were first going out. And I, this is how it happened. So when I got sober, I worked at Millie's. I got a lot, of, a lot of praise for that. It wasn't uh, some act of humility like Gandhi. It was the only job I was qualified <laughs> for. It was the only place <laughs> you could get a job. I get it. But people like mythologize it like he washed dishes. Sure. He was a musician. <laughs> like, no, that, I was a dishwasher. I had been a musician in a prior life, and now right. I was a dishwasher. And the only thing that kind of helped me through that period, I was dishwasher for a year and a half, was knowing that there were other great musicians that had been dishwashers, Alex Chilton being number one. After the mm. box tops and the, and the big star, he worked in a restaurant. One of the greatest singers, like he's written four of my favorite songs of all time. T uh, uh, the Letter, um, uh, 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 Ballad of El Goodo. You know that song, yeah. my big star. Yeah, the back of a car. Like he's he's and he was wa working in a restaurant washing dishes. So uh, when I was doing it, I didn't think like, oh well, Alex Chilton did it. I can do it. But um, it wasn't some great act of humility, <laughs> right? Right. Then after that, I'd gotten enough kind of wits about me that a friend of mine said, "Hey, my friend has a movie company, and you can make way more money than you do at Millie's being a messenger for this movie company." So then I went and did that. Right. And that was fun because I was just in my car and it wasn't, you know, I could listen to Howard Stern when he was on regular radio and it was like a fun job. And I made twice as much money as at Millie's. Then the bicycle thief happened. And that was just that was just by accident and luck, too, that I started writing songs with this kid that was my girlfriend's bro brother's friend who now is in the Red Hot Chili Peppers, but that's a right. story. But so I started writing these songs, and then somehow the bicycle thief happened. So I didn't have to work. Then the bicycle thief fell apart, and, and it was mostly out of my immaturity. And Did you blow that up? Yeah, I blew it up. I threw really? A, I threw a backpack at Josh at a rehearsal one time, and we kind of went at it. Physically. God, that's amazing. I've never heard of it. <laughs> Can you I imagine? Can't imagine Bob. Can you, I can't imagine sabotaging anything. <laughs> a musical project? Oh Never. I can't believe it. So then the bicycle thief ended, but I had some money, so I didn't have to work, and I didn't. And I was like four and a half years sober, and I just kind of dropped out of life. I had this place in Joshua Tree. I just stayed out there. I didn't have a girlfriend. I was just kind of doing nothing for like a year, right? Nobody really saw me. I'd go to th I'd go to one meeting, two meetings a week where people knew me, but I'd just leave immediately afterwards. I'd go to meetings in Joshua Tree where I didn't know anybody. I stayed sober, but I certainly was depressed, withdrawn, angry, all that kind of stuff that you get at the five-year point, right? Anthony comes over to my house and says, what the fuck is up with you? This is how you know who your friends are. I go, what are you, what are you talking about? 
And he goes, N I've checked. Nobody ever sees you. I, I mean, I'm busy. I don't, don't see you a lot, but nobody ever sees you. You don't go to meetings. What, are you, what is going on with you? And I said, I'm just fucking miserable. I just hate everything. And he goes, Well, Gloria had died too. Yeah, Gloria died. Buddy. And, she, and she, uh, Buddy had died. No, Buddy was alive still. Oh, he was? Yeah, but, but um, so Anthony says, Why don't you go down to MAP and just volunteer and hang out? Everybody, you know, he loved that. That's what led me to all this. That, that advice from one good friend one afternoon is why I became a counselor. It's why Aloe exists. It's why my life is so abundant and so rich. Following advice from friends that know you well, right? Right. Kids that I'm dealing with don't have <clears throat> friendships like that. There's no advice that they're open to. They don't give each other advice, Right. Well, yeah, because they're getting advice from paid therapists. That's not real. Yeah. They're getting advice from their parents. And business models have changed for kids. You know, it's no longer like just like uh, feet on the pavement, hit the road and let's get to work. It's like get to your computer, sit down and figure out how you're going to Well, it's also money. a lot about how you're feeling. Nobody gives a fuck what you're feeling. Yeah. When's the last no. time anybody cared what you were feeling, Chuck? You know, the idea. <laughs> when was the last time anybody went, hey, Chuck, how are you feeling today? I, I don't recall. Because <laughs> uh, it's not that important. It, what's important is uh, that you do. It certainly isn't. <clears throat> you know, I, I just told a client, just told a client yesterday who, who's, who's run out of things to do the same thing. I go, show up tomorrow at 9 o'clock. Keep testing clean and volunteer because he's not in the program yeah, right volunteering now. Volunteering saved me. Volunteering is one of the best things you can do because you're not there for the money. If you have the downtime and you can afford it, it's one of the best things you even like when when you you know Tristan, my oldest son, when he was hanging out at the house and I said, If you're not gonna get a job, you're gonna go to the Someone Cares soup kitchen on nineteenth street in Costa Mesa. I'll drop you off there when I go to work and you can work there all day and you can feed people that don't have any food. Because you're not going to sit at my house while I'm at work. Right. And he enjoyed that for a minute until he met somebody there that did dope. And then he was, I was dropping him off and he was getting high. But for a second, you can't help but feel good when you're making a difference. But the problem is, is the, the quick shift from being of service to being having some power. That's what happens the second, you know, we flip that. And obviously, when you're doing it just for the love of it, because... But the point, the point I'm trying to make is I never planned to be a drug counselor. Right. I never wanted any of this. It's great. I'm happy that it all kind of unfolded. It felt, felt worthwhile doing. But I was just really trying to figure out what went wrong with The Bicycle Thief and how to do another band or a solo project. I was just going to play music. And it's been 23 years it's been interrupted. And it's going to be interrupted no more. <laughs> Like I, I know how to write songs. I know I, I, I know how to play music, and so Thelonious Monster's making a record. The Bicycle Thieves making a record. The idea that that that's what I like doing. I like writing the songs and recording the songs. I don't really like the records coming out or playing concerts, but I do like writing songs. I wrote a song this morning. It's just like, you know, I wanted to purposely write a song based around the the negative attitude that Americans have about trauma and therapy and that therapy helps with trauma, right? The crazy thing, because there's a lot of negativity about therapy. And I think because so, so much of it is so ineffective, right? So I'm reading this Jerry West. He's a basketball player. I know you guys don't know I do. who Jerry West is. So Jerry West, I was reading his book and he has this quote. It goes, I went to I went a few times about his depression, right, and his childhood trauma and growing up in poverty in West Virginia. He wrote, I went a few times, but I felt there was no way that any therapist could understand my particular torment. And I also felt in some respects that they were sicker than I was. True. That is a fucking fact. True, true on number two. <laughs> That's funny. I think man. any therapist out there that can't admit that needs to get out of the business because as a counselor or a therapist, if you if you don't think that you're screwed up somewhere along the way. I've never I've never met somebody that I felt was as screwed up as me, but I've met a lot of people that I felt were like, yeah, about as screwed up as me. 
And that's what the magicalness of thera- of the therapeutic bond is. <laughs> that's another thing. At the, another thing in that wedding, we were talking. and I'm going. You know, as much as I like, I had to go back and forth. Am I going to renew my licenses? You know, am I going to do this another two years? I really was at a ambivalent about it. And then, uh, but I'm looking at them, and I'm hearing them talk about their jobs, and I'm going, I would last one day before I said penis or. <laughs> Or talk about butts, or it's just something totally inappropriate, and I would just be canned. I'm just not. I didn't think I'd ever work in an office anywhere. Right. That's why I built truck bodies, and that's why I worked in pollution control welding because I didn't think my personality would fit in any building anywhere, any office building. And this, but it does in recovery. In in this world, sort of doesn't. You don't. You know, pick it. It picks you. If you're good at it, like Bob is very good at it. Chuck is very good at it. You know, working with. People one on one and and but you know a big part of that I appreciate you saying that the big part of that is when when Anthony who I got a bone to pick with um, gave Bob advice Bob was willing to hear it if you're not willing well, to I was take... only willing to hear it uh, yeah that's very important I was only willing to hear it from somebody I respected and trusted right. so it's the therapist's job to become. To, to, to be, 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 gain respect and, and trustworthy. Right, which, which you found when you're in bullying, Buddy and in Gloria. When you're bullying, you're not doing that. You're so, not establishing so you trust. So you listened, and that is a hard... I mean, there is so much... I mean, the stuff I did eight, nine years ago, I wouldn't even think about doing today, just like Bob wouldn't stand in front of somebody trying to get onto a bus and put his body between them and the other guy because you learn as you go. You have to understand that you're never at your peak and that you're always growing, you're always learning, and there's always something new. And you're going backwards. Like, I'm telling you that that these these kind of spots in sobriety, we're lucky because we have measured our our we have a measurement of our progress in becoming better people, more whole, right? Mm-hmm. So first two or three years of my sobriety, they were magical. I made more progress in those three years than I have since then. I hope so. You went from being so <laughs> fouled up you couldn't care for yourself. To being an all right guy in three years. To not caring. And then you, this yeah. back and forth of being an all right guy, not an all right guy. It's like throwing backpacks. Yeah, I would say that you just did not see the progress, Bob. <laughs> yeah, but it's year. not as far that you grow in your first three or four years. Oh, no, that's that. That's why I never want to do my first year again. There was so much growth, so much change, and I couldn't see it because we're in it day to day. But you can in hindsight. You can see, you know, in hindsight, it, it's obvious. And when people walk up to you and go, Dude, what's going on? And they just want to know what's going on with you because you can you can be wearing the same clothes and just look like a different person. Yeah, and that that was the instance where he, you know. So the point being that I just I just feel like you know life is short. Like I I don't want to spend any more time away from music. So that that's something I wanted to share with you guys. And Mike already knew, and people. Like, I'm, you know, I don't care if anybody hears it. I just like playing music. I just sat and played music. Chrissy took Sid to school, and then she had a swim thing afterwards. I sat all morning working on this song. Now I'm now I'm looking at it. The lyrics aren't very good. Did you, but when you're, when you're writing something, you, you think guitar? it's so good. Did you yeah, I play guitar. guitar. Did, I got, you, did you pick or did you strum? No, I never do that nah. stuff that you guys do. <laughs> so that's another thing about music. Like, oh so many God. of my friends have been playing music this whole time, and they become way better musicians like the great Mike Mart. Uh, I don't think becoming a better musician makes you actually better. (laughs) You know, it adds texture When I think about some of my favorite musicians, and I won't name them because I don't want to hurt people's feelings or get people angry, but some, I mean, some people know who my all-time hero songwriter is. It's not Bob Dylan, more of a contemporary of mine. Elvis Costello. He is awful, man. He's terrible now. (laughs) It's like, what happened? I just said I wasn't going to name names, think, and now Mike just you said think the that, name. Yeah, but I mean, I know who you're talking about. I walked out on it. Now, Chuck liked it, but I just know, I saw Elvis Costello in 1979. I mean, that was mind-blowing. See, you're carrying, this, you're carrying, this, you're carrying this grudge, though. Remember that, right? You're carrying this grudge where he, didn't he uh, say something He's to not you? a nice person, but neither yeah. is <clears throat> neither is John Lennon. You want to know something about John Lennon? 
you know how they just mis mythologize people. If you, if you got the if you got the the American journalism thing is if you got the opportunity to print the truth or the myth, print the myth, right? Right. John Lennon, when they asked him um, if Ringo was one of the best drummers in the world, he said he's not even one of the best drummers in the Beatles. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's one of my but favorite that was Leonard one that's of the jokes. so mean yeah, no, no that's mean no it's funny to us probably not to Ringo you know I mean <laughs> who knows yeah, Ringo right. probably was feeling unimportant that day and it was probably dug a little deeper but that's funny you would say that because I, I, I'm almost done this book I'd give, like you, this I'd give you a hundred examples where John Lennon is one of the meanest people oh I bet what, what about the song How Do You Sleep at Night addressed to Paul McCartney oh. you did that to your best friend you wrote a song for the whole public to hear saying you're such a scumbag how do you sleep at night yeah. that's his Mr. Peace and Love guy Right. Well, no, Bob Dylan's he, he's the same snarky. Way, though. But, Bob Dylan never <clears throat> tries to act like he's nice. But at least uh, in this say. in this fat ass Elvis Costello book, he talks about what a dick he is, how he was a philanderer, and how he wasn't nice to people. And, he was not. And, nice. and 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 he talks about doing a thing with Yoko where Yoko told him that John had said he's one of us because John saw him on some. I think it was the Saturday Night Live show. Where he started doing oh, he did radio radio yeah and he started and he was just like oh you know fuck this we're gonna do this and John told Yoko yeah he's one of us what does one of us mean he was just one of us a junkie he's one of us <laughs> <laughs> just as somebody kind of a don't give a shit it took him twenty five no, years to I get back on Saturday Night Live I think it's better to know that people are fully fully human. Right, right. This mythologizing of John Lennon is this peaceful love, or Bob Marley for that part. Bob Marley, <laughs> oh, he's been mythologized. How do he treat women? <laughs> how, how, how did he do? Which wife? <laughs> uh, he had several at a time, because so, the lion deserves a pride. So, so my thing is that that just just progressing be human. and going just progressing be human. And going farther is not necessarily and, a good thing. And I think honesty is important and I think a lot of my friends have become better musicians and they're not better songwriters and they don't make better records. How do you how do you rectify all that? Right. And that's I, I was telling you earlier that that's what we were we were writing some stuff and I tried to complicate it and Gish was like, "Man, no." Well, there's Don't two elevate things. The music. There's two things that successful musicians we know. And let's try to stay away from names. Yeah, but, but generally, but okay. So will here, know. here's an example of growth. Inyon Marcone started out with the good and the bad and the ugly, doing the spaghetti westerns. Now his stuff is probably progressed to where he's as good as Beethoven or Bach. He's progressed. Well, he just... let's talk about the dead for a second. So Jeffrey, okay. Jeffrey, let's not, talk about the dead. not the Grateful Dead, Je the dead people, because okay. they can't then get upset with me. So Jeffrey, Jeffrey Lee Pierce made, in my opinion, I got the 10 greatest albums ever made, and on that list is Gun Club Fire of Love. Jeffrey didn't know barely how to play guitar. In open tuning, he did. How he wrote those songs is a fucking miracle because nothing after he becomes a better musician and knows how to make records and is hanging out with Blondie and all this kind of stuff, nothing compares. So, so how does, you know what I'm saying? So then by the time, towards the end of his life, he came on tour with Lonnie Smotzer and it was just like he was, thought he was Stevie Ray Vaughan. He was like soloing like... Dun, 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 dun. That was just a phase. That was just a phase with, <laughs> well, that, with that's, Jeffrey that's Lee when Pierce. That's like if, if me, if I played guitar long enough or enough to where I could do leads effectively, I probably would. I, I mean, so I go, that, those things are boring and self-indulgent. I think that because, was just Jeffrey being bored of what he was doing and needed to change. I mean, at the end, of course, he had this concept of doing Japanese rap. You know, which was like, that's just the way he thought, dude. He thought out of the box, man. So if he was thinking that... Evolution okay. isn't easy as a musician because you lose people at every turn and you may not gain any. Well, but I, I think there's something... So let's talk about artists who have stayed true. Neil Young, his songs from... Well, Harvest Moon is really the last masterpiece he made. From Harvest Moon to After the Gold Rush, there's no, they're exactly the same. The same man made them, 
right? Yeah. He didn't evolve and become a prog rocker or a Japanese rapper. He just knows <laughs> he didn't how pull to a DD be King. Neil Young. <laughs> right. The Ramones did that really well. They I mean, stayed yeah, Ramones, the Ramones did it really well. Start to finish. Where, did, where do you put Steve Earle in that? Steve Earle's done nothing but progress to a higher level and a higher plane of songwriting than I've ever uh, um my old friend the blues is still the best song he ever wrote. Well, he that's what he said. <laughs> he told me that he said he would never you'd never be able to top that. Well, but you can but you can surround that with songs. And going back to that uh Elvis Costello book when he's talking about the songs he wrote early on, where he stole them from because nothing was like just a pure his idea. It's Sam and, he, and, and he's, Dave, he's very Sam he's very open about where he got this, and then he took this riff from this song and put it on there, and that he wasn't a great player, so he surrounded himself with people that could play, and then when the people that could play got jealous of him being like looking like the only important part of the group, then there was infighting, and all that stuff is all there. But the idea of when you try to emulate your heroes and you fall short, that's when you come up with something well, completely but I'm, original. I'm saying the people that really fail, okay, so there's the evolution of the musician where they don't necessarily evolve to become better. Then there's the try to read to try to do the same thing over and over again. Some of your friends, I won't name them, they just try <laughs> to do the same thing over and over again. One, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's yeah, no, no, there's it's no formulaic. Yeah. But it's not as good as the stuff that made them who they were. Well, it's, right? it's not exciting or so new to them my question, either. My question to you is what would, if Kurt Cobain hadn't have died, what would he sound like now? Well, I hoped he was going in a totally new direction with he was supposed to work with Michael Stipe. And I hope it stay interesting. That's we the big know. question. Would it have know. stayed interesting? And Michael Stipe is one of the, uh, people that kind of got me onto this thinking he re he released his first single in like 10 years or 12 years the other day i couldn't even listen to five minutes of it at three minutes and 37 i was like enough it's too highly too highly evolved <laughs> that's what people thought happened to brian ferry but i loved brian ferry stuff all the way up until now i mean it changed Roxy, from Roxy Music to working with Eno to where he, but I believe, where he went. But I believe that's why most music that you go see is nostalgia. You're going to see a band do their first four albums. Are you going to see hear, like two. I went to Elvis Costello to hear songs off their first six albums, seven albums, right? I don't want to hear any of the last 14 albums. Oh, my God. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it, it's true. How do you know that's not a, your problem? He was playing with Blondie, who hasn't made a new record in 20 years. Point. Uh, well, <laughs> right? yeah, you're so, exactly right. So, and what's so wrong with it? I'll play Sammy Hagar for anybody. I don't care if it makes people happy. What's so wrong with it? Right. A live show should be a celebration of the music, not about this is what we do. And we know that. We know that that happens, that we watch artists progress, and then they get to the point where they're not going to play the hits. They hate the songs that made them famous, and they refuse to play them, and they just... Elvis Costello does they you know, if they, Top Jimmy was here, man, Top Jimmy would tell you that all blues artists, they just, when they found it and they hit it, they just kept doing it over and over and over. And over. over. Like you know Elmore James. You ever hear, you hear that that riff that Elmore James did on, on Dust My Broom? It's on every it's song. It's on every song after Dust My well, Broom. But here's the thing. <laughs> Muddy Waters, I, I watch this Keith Richards documentary. Muddy Waters, it's estimated, played the song Hoochie Coochie Man 40 or 50 thousand times oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> because he would rehearse with it because he'd always play with new musicians so he's he'd just start playing it at sound check so that everybody could know get their sounds right and play mm. with them he played it for 40 years every night right yeah that's <laughs> so i sat one time with jimmy at the at the music machine and he knew every song that was coming up on casey big joe turner's set list because casey big joe turner uh, played the same seven songs for the last 40 years. Flip, flop, life. and fly. Yeah. Flip, flop, and fly. And he played them in the same Don't fucking order. Don't care if I die. Well, you kind of, you kind if it if it plays well one night, you got to play it the next night because not the same people are there. That's the hard part for me is that I'm not an entertainer. So that would get really yeah, annoying it's entertainment. to play is so there's a difference between people that like playing music and people that are, that are entertainers. And, you know, to be able to put on, to go to Vegas and do the same show twice a day, you know, five days a week for months, that that's a certain kind of person. And that's that's a but totally different kind of music. work ethic. I got news for you. Guess what comedians do? 
Oh, and it, I, I, I have nothing. They but tell the same jokes. I for can't years. imagine. For years. I can't imagine that would be any fun at all. And to pretend like it's funny so every time somebody, you <laughs> Somebody told me to watch this guy's comedy special. And I finally I was you know, going through Netflix and I, I saw it. And I went, oh, my God, I'm going to watch it. And I had seen him on New Year's Eve last year. And he was opening for this other guy. Half of the set in his special I saw him do on New Year's Eve. The same jokes. Mm. And they do it. Night after night, like most comedians play uh, two shows, one show, one or two shows on Thursday, two shows on Friday, two shows on Saturday, two shows on Sunday. So they play six times in a city, right? Every time they do some of the same jokes because that's their, that's their well, yeah. main meat and potatoes, just like playing under the bridge. It's like your big joke. How many times did, did Freddie Prince do and, and the, and the, you know, remember Freddie Prince's stand-up? Freddie Prince was uh, Chico and the Man, Yeah, right? but he was a stand-up, and he had this joke about the doggy in the back oh, window the, that goes, ding 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 right? <laughs> I've seen him do it like 20 times. Well, I can see why they why they kill themselves or why they take <laughs> drugs, because it would just be so annoying and just, oh, it would stop being fun to do. The same joke. Yeah. Well, I think, at least the same song has a different spirit to it. I guess the same joke has a different spirit in the in the audience, right? I have a hard time telling the same story again if I because that, that's the thing about being on a being on a boat with eighty people you don't know, seventy five of them you don't know, just a few you do. It seems like the same sort of questions are being asked, and I just I turned into this kind of rude kind of don't feel like talking because I've already said what I do for work, where I live, and yes, that's my son, and yes, he's nine years old, and no, it's not you autism. Went on a cruise? No, I did a wedding on Saturday. And oh, there were 80, I saw that. It, there were eighty people on the on the boat. Oh, it was a boat cruise? I didn't understand what that was. I thought it was on the beach. No, we went round around. The, I saw um, the pictures. Online. We went round around the bay. And it was cool because I was marrying two people that met in rehab five years ago when I was working at Serenity Shores. They met there, and I was always telling them, dude, leave her alone. If you care about her, you're going to let her alone, and you're going to let her get her own recovery, and you're going to get yours. Did he? No. And <laughs> they stayed together. Good for him. They stayed together long enough, and that's why I don't tell people that anymore, because a year later, they were still together. He went out and came back. She stayed sober, and they said, the only person we want to do this is you. So I, I did it as a wedding number 10 for me. Wow. My 10th wedding. And all those people, as far as I know, are married still. I don't know. And they're going back nine years. I don't know if all of them are happy. Are you, so, you're 10 for 10? 10 for 10, 100% Oh, my God. You, right people you know, I'm going to touch wood. People at home, if you want to guarantee your nuptials, you'll get Chuck to come <laughs> yeah. down and do your wedding. I, I can. Wedding. A 100% success rate. I don't know anybody else that can say that right now. So anyways, I just, I'm going to play music. I, I'm going to try to stay dumb. I'm going to try to stay unevolved. I'm going to try to make music that's pure from my heart, that's about the things I think about and the things that I care about. And one is this you can't avoid it how fucked up america is no. you cannot avoid it and how bands can write songs about stuff when things are so crazy urgent and i'm not talking about politics i'm talking about the american society mm -hmm. right so that you know the leading cause of death for white males between the ages of 36 and 54 is suicide how can how can you not write a song about that Night. How can you not write a song about homelessness in Los Angeles when you stopped at a stoplight on Figueroa in Colorado and a man is, is fluidly psychotic pooping in the street in front of your car? Like in the crosswalk. Right, right, right. How can you not be, how can songwriters not be writing songs about this shit? Because I don't see anybody doing it. It's all like hip hop. Blah, 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 blah. We're all so happy. <laughs> you know, at, but smoke weed. It'll it'll be hard. It'll be hard for you because you're already doing it. You wrote those words this morning that you felt. Right. That'll sound. That'll sound fine. A man. Uh, the Smiths. No, if I you would have read the Smiths words without the music and not heard them sung, you would have got this guy. Did you? Did you he's <laughs> dust in the wind. We're nobody's waiting for a Smiths reunion anymore. No right. one will show up but protesters. I did you hear what he said? No. He said that it's a fact that most races feel most comfortable amongst themselves. That is not an evolved thinker. That is not an evolved thinker. 
So what was the question leading up to it, and who cares? Brexit and immigration and all that kind of stuff. He's a big Brexit and and non-immigration guy. Okay, right. He was, yeah. I, you know, I I, know, I feel horribly uncomfortable around white people because they're so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Write a song about that. <laughs> I, and don't, I've written like 10 of them. <laughs> and don't go back and edit and re-edit and try to smarten it up. You know what my sister said one time? I shouldn't say it. But anyways, my sister said that. My <laughs> I sister shouldn't say said, it, but. My sister, I said, I said, you don't have any black friends. I don't even know what you're talking about. Like, she's, you know, I wasn't saying she's racist. I was just saying she's a little nervous around black people. And she's like, oh, that's not true. There's people in my church. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. Like, she goes, Bobby. Blah blah blah, and she goes. You have to admit there are differences. And I said, "What differences?" And she goes, "Well, I've I've noticed that colored people do smell differently." Oh yeah, I know. Wait, wait, wait. You're talking about a woman. You're talking about a woman that went to fucking college, who's living in that in the twenty twentieth last half of the twentieth century. She thinks colored people smell different. They don't I'm use the, they, take wait, that. They out, don't man. use their noses. <laughs> yeah, I can't take that. <laughs> Bob's That's sister thinks they, breathe, they smell with something other than their nose. Because we all smell with our noses. Hey, I don't know how hey, they do it. With that, I want to I wanna do some of these reviews that we've never responded to. It's okay. on our Don't Die, um, on our don't Die uh, Facebook page. It's, they're not questions. They're just comments and reviews. Comments. And there's a, a Gerald... Kruger, which I think is your yeah, Memphis. that's 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 Memphis. That's Memphis, right? And he uh, comments, his presence has kept me alive for a decade. Love you, Bob Memphis. Oh, I love that guy. Yeah, so I love thought maybe guy. you should. We everybody should hear that. And then um, there's a song called Memphis that I wrote, not about him. And then he heard it when he was in prison. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right, right. Yep. And then he got out of prison. He became a cadet counselor, and. Um, and then he got cancer, and it was so fucked. Then he f- battled cancer. Then um, what was weird for him, this is another thing that uh, Americans don't want to talk about. Okay, all this legalization or this or that. What about parole itself? Parole itself is almost a guarantee. It's a, I have a needle that you don't return back to prison. Our parole system is fucked up. True. You understand? Right. And he made it out. He, he had to stay in Connecticut for like five years or something, a place he's not even from. He's from Tennessee, but he committed his crimes in Connecticut or whatever. I and figured it was a name the like greatest, Memphis. greatest yeah. guy, fish out of water there, but he well, fell Jay, in with yeah, some really thanks, good people. Yeah, thank you for that review, man. That was awesome. Well, I love, um, you know, he's, he's, he's had special. a profound well, effect it, on me. Parole, so, parole does Elena, seem to be set up for people to fail, but people don't want to care because they go, that's their problem. They shouldn't have gotten on parole. And that's, that's probably the biggest problem with when we're talking about when you're talking about recidivism well, that's what it is the the guidelines of parole are ridiculous well but it but people going that's not my problem that's not my sin i don't drink i don't use i never went to prison who cares that's their problem and the idea that it's all somebody else's problem is the problem but it's becoming notice it's becoming somebody else's it's becoming everybody's problem because it's white middle class males that are on parole now that's well, true. then, it, then and it's got to like, stop. And just, and just like <laughs> the drug problem was fine if it's in the hood or with musicians or whatever. That's, you know, it's, those guys are immoral, unethical. They don't mm-hmm. think, think straight. But when it become this, became the sons and daughters of senators and the sons and daughters of leaders of industry, all of a sudden it was a disease. Mm-hmm. No. All right. So our next review is Alina Barr. She says, of course, you must listen. Fun, deep, all the feels. Thank you, Elena Barr. We're just trying to get some more reviews. We would like if you guys went to uh, iTunes and commented and gave us some reviews. Thank you so much for that. All and the feels. All the feels, yes. All the feels. Forrest oh. George, of course, oh. our friend Forrest George. Forrest George. Little George's <clears throat> son. Uh, Bob Forrest is an inspiration to many. He's a great guy, very talented, and has a wonderful sense of humor. Thanks. And if he and I Thanks ever got Forrest married, George. and because it's possible <laughs> in California <laughs> we could have Chuck marry us, his yep. name would be Forrest Forrest. And that's, that's right. fantastic. <laughs> that's so cool. Forrest George Forrest. He could he could actually <laughs> then, uh, hyphenate it. <laughs> and then Adam Stasek said Forrest us, George Forrest. Forrest George Forrest. That's a good name. I, I think you should you should have another kid and <laughs> name it George Forrest George Forrest. Forrest. 
What yeah. is the other one, Mike? So, uh, and Adam Stark sent us a, ba- a uh, you know, one of those New York heroin pictures of a heroin bag, a panther on it. <laughs> yeah, Black Panther. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and and he said uh, informative, uplifting discussions on music and postmodern American subculture. Known as addiction. Don't die. Please live. That's right. Well, that's that's wow. You guys must be smart. Yeah. Well, that, good, yeah, right. that was us. Now, thank you, over, Adam. Yeah. Over, intellect, over intellectualization <laughs> of what we're <laughs> doing here. That's like yeah, seeing yeah, a, yeah. A, a tab of what you well, just me, played let, on let's guitar. Let's get back okay. to the music thing for okay. a second. Hold Hold on. On. No, 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 got, Mike. I want to talk about the music thing for a second. Fine. So when you go see, like, I'm trying to think of a band that I went and saw that I was just over the moon about. Um, I think I saw the B-52s like two years ago, and they were so awesome. I didn't care that they made a record in the last 20 years. I was going to hear the songs of my childhood. What is wrong with that? Why is that looked down upon by people? Because that's not what a true artist does. That's what an entertainer does. And everybody wants to elevate themselves out of the status of just being a song and dance man or whatever. But, you know, I, I see that the Water Boys are coming around. I'll go, but... If they play a whole new album and not <laughs> not stuff that I know, if I don't hear, all right, Mike, let's hear another one. Moon, let's hear I'm another done. one. All right, Karen Johnson uh, recommends Bob Forces. Don't buy. It. Doesn't want to be a saint. The empathy unsurpassed. I like that one, Bob. Empathy. I don't want to be a saint. I that that's the thing is. I think that when you misrepresent yourself, you're bound to fail. All these gurus of all these rehabs, boy. So glad that I'm, you know, I'm been honest about who I am. Yeah. Right. Well, so God, let's get through it, yeah. a couple of these. And we're just gonna then, the, then people can go and uh, review these online here. Uh, Andrea Clary has listened to this on my way home from work uh, in treatment. By the way, every day it makes me so happy. Occupational humor is the best. Being that I am a millennial, I can appreciate your views. This generation is what's wrong with the world, and I'll, <laughs> and I'll be the first to admit it. It's Bob Forrest. It's not that. Hashtag grumpy old man gold. I only hope to be as cool, grumpy, and punk rock as you one day, Bob. And Chuck, you're just a perfect counterpart. Well, Keep listen, them coming, you guys. Andrea Clary, you hit the home run right there. Well, the, the millennials, <laughs> like, here's the thing. I have a millennial wife. I have a millennial son. I have millennial partners. I have millennial employees. I have millennial clients. If there's anybody that interacts or has dealt with every emotional kind of stuff with the millennial thinking, it's me. I'm sorry. And I have the perspective of prior generations that just would wrinkle their foreheads like, what the fuck are you talking about? What what did you just I mean, they say, did son? It, they did it to <laughs> <You know>? me, <laughs> and and so so I'm and the wrinkling wrinkling in the forehead and the disillusion is, what the fuck, right? Mm-hmm. What the fuck are you thinking? People don't care what you feel; they care what you do. People don't. It's just if that the most basic fundamental thing is the institutions of our society have been perverted so now they everybody tiptoes around right right the the just today a a guy exercised his free speech who's associated with the nba like there is no uh worse place to be gay in the world than china they just execute you okay right well, they do in iran too cool. right Nah, I don't know about that, yeah, yeah, but yeah, but 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 you can't say a, a word against China because 500 million uh, Chinese follow the NBA basketball. Oh, that's a lot to lose. So they're isn't it? crucifying this guy for saying mm. "power to the people of of Hong Kong, justice, whatever." He tweeted something, and they're crucifying him. These Chinese companies have said they're not going to do business with the NBA or with the Houston Rockets and all this kind of stuff. I'm just so sick of this fucking shit. <laughs> I'm just so sick of it. The guy has the right to say what he thinks. Yeah. And oh, by the way, the NBA players who are throwing him under the bus and the NBA 
uh, uh, the director is crucifying him and the owner of the Sun of the Houston Rockets is crucifying him. Oh, by the way, they wouldn't play an all-star game in Charlotte, North Carolina because of transgender bathrooms disputes. I think being executed because you're gay is much more abhorrent than, than not allowing transgender bathrooms. So they pick and choose what they rebel against, mm-hmm. right? What's okay? 500 million Chinese watching NBA basketball. You can't lose that. So they can do whatever they want and violate civil rights all they want, right? It's just right. sickening. It's no, sickening. <clears throat> America is sickening. That's it. That's funny because sickeningly hypocr- hypocritical. The there, this guy I was talking to the other day was said he when he went to Russia and a couple other places, he was just shocked by how honest people are. Like, they're not caught up in saying anything political, p- politically correct. He was talking to some girl over lunch, and he said something, and she said, well, that's just a stupid idea. And he was just shocked because she didn't try to, she didn't try to be diplomatic about how she said it, and he was noticing that people on the streets, they don't have time for all this idiocy of how, if, if you feel something is right, wrong, or indifferent, you just say it, and you don't worry about ramifications or backlash or how you're going to be judged because you're just being who you are, which is what that player did. Maybe he signed a contract that said he's not allowed to be a human being as long as he's part of this organization and he can't have his own opinions. I don't know. But But I just think it's this Twitter morality that I'm so sick of. I'm sick of it. People having to apologize for stuff that they may or may not have said or may or may not have meant or may or may not have tweeted incorrectly. It, it is annoying, and it makes me just want to pull out of it. Well, yeah, the, 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 it's just crazy. So so I just I think I just try to give my opinion. If you like me, you like me. If you don't like me, you don't like me. It's fine. It's fine to not like me. It's fine to not agree with me. It's mm-hmm. fine. It's actually American to have disagreements. <laughs> I think and if I agreed agree with, with you people. all the time, I wouldn't but, be your friend. But wanting me to be dead and my children not to have food to eat because you disagree with an opinion of mine, that is fascism. Mm. That is bullying. That is mean. And I believe a lot of the millennial kind of generation believe that's how you get your way to, to kill the other side ruin their lives, attack them. It's so hideous. You know what I mean? And I, I just, I, you know, I, at my kid's school, they wanted the principal gone because she didn't respond well enough to some dumb thing that was said about Trump. Like, I went to the superintendent. I said, you allow this woman to be relocated because of these nitwit parents. You're going to keep, you're going to be relocating people forever in Los Feliz, Silver Lake, Echo Park, Mount Washington, Highland Park, Eagle Rock, where all these fucking nutcase liberals live. Because they're all going to have something to say about somebody who mm-hmm. didn't say something or did say something. Right, didn't respond you quick know, enough, just, didn't respond just, slow enough. Didn't so do- how do we stand up against it? That's what I'm, I'm interested in. How do you stand up against this? Like you have the right to disagree with me. You have the right to not like me. You have the right to not listen to this podcast. You have the right to tell your friends Bob Forrest is an asshole. Don't buy. But his you records, don't have the but, right yeah. to harm my family, harm, threaten me, right? And that's what happens to me a lot over things I say. People, I told you the thing about Michael Jackson. Unbelievable what people wrote to me on social media. <laughs> Unbelievable, hoping my children get raped by a child molester. What kind of fucking person writes that? Sad, sick individual. You know, so so the the idea that I just like I this is who I am. See, I, we could I, probably I, get in trouble for calling them sad and sick. <laughs> You probably, there's probably say, no, no, no. They were just voicing their opinion. You voiced yours and they voiced theirs. You don't get to attack them. Right. And so, so this idiocracy that we're living in, I don't know where it leads, but, but I'm, I'm glad that the women recognizes that I don't, I don't, this is who I am. These are the opinions I have. I don't filter things. I don't, you know, I don't try to be guarded or tell you what you want to hear. I'm not a fucking hero. But I, I care about people, and I'm good at talking to drug addicts. Right. That's it. That's amazing to me that they didn't have something negative or a platform to stand on, stand on and make a big point, but they wrote in anyhow. 
those people are above average human beings in my book just because they took the time to write something nice something nice something nice because you know you know you do something nice for some somebody they might tell somebody you someone know, gets angry they'll tell 10 or 100 or a thousand people one of the proudest things i i've said i've always been a like when i was in a position where it mattered what i thought of new bands i really did take it as a responsibility so did anthony so did a lot of my friends that were like if we said we like somebody it meant something in los angeles for sure so you recently came from from the muffs died mm -hmm. i didn't even know she was sick it was so sad i loved that band i loved her as a songwriter i loved the pandoras and it came out and all this stuff on so online about her that i was the first person to ever write a fan club letter to their to their mail p.o box oh I just loved them. They had a song called Everywhere I Go, You're There. Everywhere. It was like a precursor to like poppy punk rock that Nirvana and Hole would be. I thought they were just the greatest. I was also one of the first fans to reach out to Rilo Kylie. I just loved that band. Right? And so it meant something. Like, right. these are good bands. You guys should listen to this. And I would tell people. And then I took it to the extreme when we were on tour in 92. I didn't like our record that much. And I didn't like promoting it. <laughs> oh, no, yeah. so I, and I became obsessed with Wu-Tang Clan, Wu-Tang for, Wu Forever. Yeah. So I kept telling people, like, our record's not that good. It was kind of like it was all fucked up. And it was part of a solo record I was making. And we'll make another record that's better next time. So I'm not saying you should buy our record. But everybody should buy Wu Forever. Good for, good for you, Bob. <laughs> the Capitol Record that, people were like, <laughs> they were in the room with me like, what the fuck are you doing that for? And I go, because it's true. It's true. Our record's not very good, and the Wu-Tang is the most <laughs> amazing thing. <laughs> yeah, but you, you have to... <laughs> If you're not going to sh show your own product, who is? So I've been telling the truth for a long time. And uh, only recently in the last five or ten years does it get you where people threaten your life. <laughs> so anyways, I'm excited. I'm semi-retired. I'm going to play music. I want to solve these social issues uh, that are affecting all of us. And we're going to continue talking about it. See you later, Chuck. Thanks. Bye. Don't die, everybody. Don't die. Don't die.